The His Girl Friday podcast is brought to you in part by Messenger Fellowship, living the kingdom, fulfilling the call, proclaiming the truth. How's it going, everyone? This is Cameron Fry with His Girl Friday. Hope you're doing well, that you're staying healthy, that you're thriving and surviving in this unique season. Cutting this on my lunch break on June 18th, kind of hard to believe we're near the midpoint mile marker of 2020. Seems like this year has been speeding along at a brisk pace in light of the extreme narratives, though I understand if for those same reasons you think this year has been crawling along, just drudging along at this snail-like pace, just you want the redo, you want the mulligan, I completely understand. You know, there's going to be a time to talk about politics and what's been going on in our nation the past couple of weeks and months. Just so much to say, I don't even know where to begin, but I don't feel led to go there today. And there will be a time, but I want to be spirit-led in that time. For now, I want to talk about a new word, uh, a Philippians 2-3 word, and talk about just some new revelation and insights I've been getting as far as how this looks in the workplace. So we're going to break down Philippians 2 verse 3 in a couple different translations. I'm going to give you three ways that the verse, just kind of capturing how the verse looks in our occupations and vocational settings, and we'll talk about some applications and go from there. All right? So I'm just going to say a quick word of prayer and then dive in. Lord, I thank you that you are good, that you are faithful, that you are true to who you say you are, that we have everything we need for goodness and godliness. I pray that you'll just anoint this word uh, as your willing vessel, as your mouth, extension of your mouthpiece. I pray that this will be communicated clearly in a coherent way for all to understand and process together. Lord, it's my desire that you shine your word of truth in our hearts in a way that will inspire us to change to new action, new ways of thinking. This is all about you. I just want to get ahead of this pod and, and consecrate it and alter gratitude. Lord, this is all about you. This is not about, oh, hey, I got this new word. No, I'm just so grateful that you've given me this to share with the people around me that you've put in my path. And so it's all about discovering you in a new, fresh way. That is why we're here today. We love you, Lord, and thank you that you're going to do a new work in us today. Amen. All right. So I don't know about you, but I find the ironies of Scripture fascinating. So many of them. Some say the the Word of God isn't ironic. Eh, Well, at least at first glance, you know, one of the themes, weakness is strength in Paul's letters you know, that you know that could be considered ironic, the overturning of human wisdom. We see that all over Scripture. Yeah, the way that happens. I would say there's some ironies there. And then just the way God redeems, the redemptive reversals uh, in the Old Testament, New Testament alike. There's a lot of different stories we could point to about that. There's many to choose from. But more of a broader philosophical irony that's been gripping me in recent weeks, is the idea of delayed revelation. And by that I mean we could read the same verse, passage of Scripture, so many times, we'll say 99 times in this example, but on the 100th take, on the 100th read, that's when the light bulb goes off, and it feels like you're reading the verse for the first time. Anyone out there feel like that? And it's great because we should want to return to the word, you know, for me, Ephesians 6, I've read it so many times, it's like, well, do I have to go back again? I kind of don't want to. It feels like, yeah, I've already got that. I I get the theme. I pray it regularly. 
you know, the, the armor of God passage, children obey your parents and the Lord, it's how the verse starts, you know, yes, been there since age five, age six, but no, go back to it. You'll be amazed at the Lord's faithfulness to show us a new facet of his word. And it's all about God's faithfulness. It's all about his sovereignty in motion. And as we tap into that, we mature in our understanding of the word and understanding of God. And we put ourselves in these positions to be inspired. So can we really be surprised if at the 100th reading of a familiar passage, we finally get something that we didn't get before? Whatever the reason, I believe it justifies our call to continually renew our minds in the scriptures. After all, in the space between passage exposure, times between, you know, in this case, I said Ephesians 6, in the, in the times that I spent between Ephesians 6, who says God can't work new grids and frameworks into the mix? So that's my prelude. Sticking by it. Just want to share a recent instance uh, today, during which, as mentioned, studying Philippians 2. And I stumble upon verse 3, and I'll explain why this has such profound implications at the start. But I'm reading Philippians 2, hit verse 3, and I hit this accelerant that just took me deeper into new territory. You know, it's like I've been here before, but now it's just there's this profound resonance. So we'll read the NIV first and go from there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. New Century Version. When you do things, do not let selfishness or pride be your guide. Instead, be humble and give more honor to others than yourselves, or than to yourselves. New King James, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. New Living Translation, <coughs> excuse me, New Living Translation, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others, be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. English Standard, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. All right, you get the gist here. Just wanted to share some different translations. All right, so here's the context. A couple weeks ago, my work's having a team meeting on a Monday morning, one of the first team meetings we've had together uh, post-quarantine. I mean, we're still in quarantine, but for us, we're doing the 50-50 thing. You know, I'm going in two days a week on Monday and Wednesdays and working the others from home. Other colleagues have different schedules. But for those who were in the office on Monday, we're having this team meeting because that's when we normally have them. And a colleague of mine mentioned how we should honor one another by assuming others' loads as crazier, air quotes, than our own. And this is an agreeable notion, considering our corporate desire to serve. When in doubt, the other person to our left, to our right, has more on their plate or has more going on. And if we're all thinking like that, it's just one way we respect each other in light of what they're doing. And I knew that there was a scriptural reference to back that up. I just couldn't remember what it was in the moment, but I knew it was, you know, okay, that's Somewhere in Paul's first imprisonment letters, i.e. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I knew it was in, some, uh, in one of those chapters, so couldn't help but feel satisfied. Having found the source a week later, drilling down on Philippians 2.3, I saw what this colleague was referring to, the scripture that was the backbone to the statement in the meeting. And so Philippians 2.3, you know, home base for today this verse really captures how corporate love is supposed to look in a team construct, particularly in vocational settings, to respect colleagues and clients alike. And this is universal. I mean, this goes to anyone, but just putting that vocational grid on this pod, it's essential we surrender pride 
and we embrace selfless motives and integrate humility into everything we do, into how we work. And the reasons this constitutes wisdom are many. I'll just give you five reasons off the bat. It, it yields no breathing room to arrogance or self-righteousness. It empathizes and prioritizes advancing the needs of others, which is essential if we're going to provide quality customer service or care. Uh, in our work, it inspires a place for the radical middle, that balance between spirit and truth, to thrive. And vocationally, this often manifests its finding common ground to agree upon. You know, you feel this way, you feel that way. How do we meet in the middle? Uh, it creates a spirit of safety and enhances camaraderie and team unity. And it converts corporate ladders from vertical hierarchies into horizontal matrices where all roles are equally valuable. Now, that is a visual that I might have to explain that in greater detail later on. But the idea behind how I worded that, a lot of times we see corporate ladders, we see it like I got to climb up my way. I have to move up and self-effort my way to the next bar. And it's, it's an easy way to stumble into how we see ourselves. Our identity is tied to what bar the ladder we're on. And in, I believe there's a better way of looking at it. Yes, there are supposed to be supervisors and leaders and those who are superiors um, all work. It's healthy to have a system of superiors and subordinates. Um, it goes back to Jethro, Jethro principles, which we've talked about previously. But we have to remember that while all roles are diverse in function, equal in value. There we go. Sometimes it takes me a couple takes to, to get rolling there. However, all that said, there are deeper layers to be discovered as we consider occupational applications. And this is where I'm going to tie in a familiar allegory, but one that might not be often stitched to Philippians 2.3, and that's the allegory of the long spoons. A regarded illustration, but one that we don't often associate to marketplace principles, let alone Jethro principles. And this really has been around for a long time, this allegory of the long spoons. I know for my dad, it was told to him by a Christian teacher who was also a philosophy professor at the University of Wales back in 1972. That was my dad's first exposure, and I remember him talking about it, and I know it existed before then, but it's been passed down quite a bit. It's often used to explain the difference between heaven and hell. And for those unaware of this illustration, the allegory Long Spoons, it's a parable, essentially. It shows the difference between heaven and hell, where in each location inhabitants are given food with oversized utensils, but they're incapable of self-service. So in hell, people cannot cooperate and they wail in torment as a result because the oversized spoons, they can't feed themselves through it. It's impossible. Can't get in, into their mouths. The angle's just not, you know, the spoon is just too long. But in heaven, the diners use the spoons to serve food across the table where everyone is satisfied. So now that allegory explained, we can carpe diem the application. If our mission is to maximally serve one another, then self-seeking ambitions will fade as humility builds in places they once occupied. We all have selfish moments and prideful moments. And when we pray them out, when we surrender those moments to God in, in repentance, there are voids that are now created where pride once roamed. It's like, but in how we feel those voids, not through self-effort or self-righteousness, but inviting the spirit into our mix, into our space. That's one of 
one of the themes that I've been talking about on this pod for a while now, it's very crucial we see the transactional element of, all right, I, when I repent and surrender my sin, then there's the space left behind. How do I invite the Spirit? How do I invite God in to fill that void? As Romans 12, 1 through 2, it's a very, again, a well-known passage, but it's important that we implement this into our void feeling. When we present ourselves as living sacrifices, we position ourselves to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to discern the will of God. However, to do this, we must be committed to living securely in our love by God identity. Another big theme, especially this year on the pod. If we know who we are, not only will compassion be the hallmark of our efforts, but the overflow to how we shepherd relationships. And while we're talking specifically in the workplace, that that is universal as well. In a sense, we won't have room to compare ourselves to one another or to prove our worth because we know we're loved by God. Therefore, we have nothing to lose valuing others above ourselves, prioritizing their needs above our own and pursuing them above our own. As for how this looks in the business world, as for how Philippians 2-3 comes to life in our occupational dealings, these truths often reflect in collaboration, communication, and correction. With collaboration, anytime a team comes together to fine-tune or streamline a process, they're looking to make critical functions more efficient for the sake of service. And yes, there are economical repercussions, goals, outcomes. That makes sense. Those are practical. Enterprise collapses without them, so they're important. But it's also important to know that the customer bond is where the equity accrues over time. What happens in a conference room behind closed doors should inspire action on the front lines, on the phones, emails, the Lumen Zoom calls, however you're virtually connecting. The client-customer experience should be enhanced as we are constantly looking to merge systems, build new ones, improve infrastructures. We're looking to expand infrastructures in some cases. A lot of different ways we can improve a process or procedure, but we do it for the sake of those we're serving. We don't do it for ourselves. And that's where leadership is key good leadership and management. If both sides are intentional in anchoring their pursuits and critical needs over critical masses and metrics, odds are the organization will feel its purpose to the esteem of their clients and they'll be able to organically add more to their (laughs) measures, whether that's more people, numbers, figures, products, assets, you name it, or even just liquidating out, you know, liabilities. I'm not an accounting guru, but I know that there are a lot of different positive effects to when healthy collaboration is imminent. Likewise, with communications, a functional team should seek to integrate the ideas and individual strengths of each team member into its corporate dynamic. In doing this, a leader creates environments of safety where those with more experience can speak life into those who have more room to mature, we'll just say. And though the balance may require calibrating with new hires as new faces come in, familiar ones leave into new seasons, 
Well, that there's a balance there as long as space is given to professional and personal growth. The unity and community element will flourish. And that's the charge with this point of communications. If the goal of our workplace communication is to elevate the ministry of servanthood in advance of performance metrics, then we're going to see the fruit really bloom on the tree of whatever we're offering. If verbal success is to be realized, leaders and team members alike must discern the difference between their aim and the overflow to come. A lot of times we're after the overflow, we're after the goods, we're after the numbers, the results, the the ways in which we grow, or maybe the growth itself. But when we have our eye on the prize, and I'm, yes, I'm starting with the author and finish of our faith in Christ Jesus. Yes, that's where I'm starting. But the target in general being being spirit-led and all we put our hands, our feet, our minds to. And then from there, the aim continuing on forward as I want to love my brother. I want to serve my neighbor and love them as much as I love myself through the work that I'm doing. The golden rule, you know, Matthew 20, 37, coming to life here. That being the aim that, <laughs> and that those principles are always attached to them. I and mean, that's what it's all about. That's where really healthy communication begins to thrive into new levels that we never thought possible. Lastly, with correction, a healthy leader should always employ honesty with discernment, meekness, and understanding. And there are other ways, there are other adjectives and descriptors you could add to that, but those are three that come to mind as far as how our honesty with each other should look. We should think about what we say before we say it. Meekness, a cousin term of humility, and understanding. Often a colleague or supervisor will overstate as long as firm grace is applied, but this can have an adverse effect if the ultimate aim separates revelation from reproach and or reconciliation. In some ways, grace and understanding can be like a cart and horse. Are we applying grace prematurely before we really sit down and we have a chance to listen to someone? Because, you know, as someone who's been a new employee, a new hire, a couple times there have been moments where it wasn't just the intellectual component of the learning curve. It was just learning new dynamics and how to communicate and collaborate. The first two C's, learning how to do that. And, you know, I had to either fall on the sword or ask for, you know, forgiveness or just admit that I could have done something better. And I never really felt heard or listened to. That's why understanding, I feel like, is the prerequisite to grace, for grace to be full and to operate in its entire effect, if you will. To speak discipline effectively, we must exercise authority and transparency constructively. And yes, that's mostly a note for those who are superiors as opposed to subordinates, but subordinates we could learn to model and learn from our superiors if it's done rightly. Obviously, the word gives us plenty of insight into how we do this, but there'll be times where, where we need to speak constructively to our, our peers. And ultimately, it helps us speak constructively to our clients who are maybe a little off base in their thinking, who are entitled. I could go on. But going back to the correction part, if we rush to grace without understanding, we'll compromise cultures of safety and security rather than strengthen them. And I know this is a fine line to walk. 
I know I'm not trying to sound like the expert in all this, but I could speak truth from what I read in the Word and my own experiences. This, while a tightrope, that's the beauty of Philippians 2.3. We're not trying to be right, but we're trying to do right. We're not trying to flex our good, but rather be flexed and tending the good in others. Which brings me to my last point. If we're to use our spoons, going back to that allegory, if we're, used to our, if we're supposed to use our spoons to serve others, we must be intentional to clean them daily. So a lot of build up to this point. This is one of the big takeaways I want you as the listener to get. Think of it this way. You may love pot roast and mashed potatoes, but if the utensils are dirty, you're going to hesitate to eat them. Most likely you're going to wash the serving spoon or request a different side item. If you happen to know like, okay, there's a foreign contaminant on this spoon. There is something that I can't identify that's not a part of what I'm looking for. What's on the spoon is not roast. It's not mashed potatoes. It's something else that is going to compromise the integrity of what I'm needing, the product itself. So, you know, now I know those times you're really, really hungry. You don't care. But for the most part, we're going to, I'm going to hold off on that until the situation is rectified. In theory, the same concept applies to ministry, work, and all points in between. While what you serve is important, how you serve it is all the more. For instance, not only does how you serve shape your influence, but answers the question as literally considering Jesus. Again, Philippians 2. If you ever wonder how to serve, lock on to Jesus. Specifically, look to him as your example on selfless humility, verse 5. Empty yourselves as servants of all, verse 7. It's also in Mark 9, 35 when you give it a look. Honor each other with enthusiasm, verse 12. Dare to work in a manner worthy of your calling, Ephesians 4, 1. But still, you know, that's only one chapter removed from Philippians. Um, there are some common threads between these first imprisonment letters. All in all, in a way, in the way that you work, point to Christ's sovereignty. And from there, cultivate it, bring it to full effect, and actively pursue spiritual maturity and community in unity with humility. All right. So that completes today's pod, today's word on the way, if you will. I hope you were able to learn something out of this, that you were able to kind of see how Philippians 2, verse 3, is to look at work. I'm all about faith at work, and there's a lot of different aspects and components and facets to faith, so examining these in greater detail. hope you came away with something new today. Feel free to leave feedback, give me a, uh, shoot me a comment if you prefer. Um, you could also keep me in list posted. You can send us your prayer request. If it's something that we can be praying for you, standing with you in, standing the gap, I should say, let us know. We'd love to serve you by praying for you and being there for you in any way we can. All right, you got this. Have a wonderful rest of the work week, a great weekend ahead, and I'll catch you on the fry. Peace.